Hello and welcome again to Level Zero Literacy. I'm Mason and this week we are covering Dishonored, one of the video games of all time. As always, we're going to spoil the game from beginning to end and we're going to discuss topics that include but are not limited to pandemics, violence against women, and other minor sexual themes. Please use your best judgment before proceeding. Enjoy! Hello and welcome everyone back to Level Zero Literacy. My name is Mason. I am joined again by my wonderful co-host Spuck. War never changes. And Sam. That's me. Uh, today we are talking about Dishonored, a 2012 immersive sim by Arcane Studios, published by Bethesda. Dishonored is directed by Rafael Colantonio and Harvey Smith. Uh, forgive me if I've butchered those names. Uh, the player sees the role of the royal guard and lover of an empress in a plague-infested uh, British parallel world. Your character's name is uh, Corvo Atano. He seeks to redeem himself after the empress is assassinated in the opening moments of the game, and her murder is pinned on Corvo. The game is heavily inspired by past immersive sims such as System Shock and Vampire the Masquerade. And, and Thief. And Thief. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely That's a Thief. big one. <laughs> uh, and is usually credited with the reinvigoration of the immersive sim uh, genre in the 2010s, spawning several sequels, uh, DLCs, as well as other forays into the genre by Arcane Studios, who are primarily known for immersive sims. It's going to be another episode that gets us, that might get us in trouble with people. Yeah. <laughs> so this this game is definitely held up as this like paragon, this like shining example of both a wonderful video game from the time period as well as a really compelling piece of fiction from the time period and I don't want to speak for, I don't want to put any words anyone in anyone's mouth, but I think it's a pretty unanimous uh, judgment by all of us that it doesn't really hold up uh, to either of those i would standards. say i would say it does not hold it up and i'm I, this is something i say a lot on this podcast but <laughs> it does not hold up to a modern design sentiment yeah uh, i think i can see why this game was heralded so highly in 2012 yes because it was just a very different time for games we didn't see a lot of games like this in that era but now i feel as though there are a lot more pieces that do this kind of world building and do this kind of better significantly better character development and all this other stuff that i don't feel as though we need to hold this game up on a pedestal anymore i i kind of also want to push back a little bit on it being like a good storytelling for the time because i don't know maybe maybe i'm like really biased i personally feel you know at this point we talked about metal gear solid one and two right yeah yeah those games have a really compelling interesting kind of storytelling thing totally going. different time from when this game came out though that was 10 <laughs> yeah. that's 10 yeah, years. that was 10 years before this that's i mean yeah it, i see what it, you're saying it, <laughs> no but so but but like games move through periods i feel like 2013 was when we were neck deep and call of duty yeah halo, yeah, halo yeah. had like narratives but it was always like secondary to the multiplayer i yeah. feel the early 2010s was a very big multiplayer land system focused time mm -hmm. and we had kind of moved away from yeah. the single player experience and so this was i don't want to say a revolution but a revisiting of something that had been mm. as far as from a triple a perspective right. kind of Okay. more pushed to the wayside okay okay yeah 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 and so I, so like a, a pro like a paragon of its time exactly but like specifically, specifically of its of time window the early 10 20 yeah and, and when i say that it was held up i mean like just from a cultural standpoint it was nominated for and won a lot of awards mm -hmm. i'm not necessarily saying that i endorse that viewpoint as you all <laughs> as you all have read in our facebook group chat i uh have quite a critical view of the writing of this game is yeah. just that at the time i i remember i pretty clearly remember that this was like a big deal this was like kind of on the level of like bioshock and mass effect how people mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. regarded the, maybe not mass effect but how people regarded this game for the writing at the time mm. can i talk about my one moment to sort of give perspective as to the way this game played out for me yeah 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 let, so, yeah, let's shake it up. Let's do our one moments at the beginning. Yeah. So when I did my playthrough of this game, I had a moment really early on where 
I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool, interesting, unique piece of world building. But I'm not going to commit to it because there might be something later on in the game where I'm like, okay, this is like a bigger, more compelling thing. And it just never happened. So throughout the game, you can find different types of manuscripts, correspondence, books, all manner of writing from different characters. There's a lot of books by Sokolov. There's a lot of letters written between different characters in the game that really flesh out the world and stuff. The one that struck me the most was towards the beginning. I want to say it was, I discovered this during my very first visit to the Hound Pits pub where there is this two volume book. And I think the book is called like the whaler's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. journey or something yeah and the first book is like oh i finally have this opportunity to make something out of my life and everything's going to be so much better and my family and my wife are going to be so proud of me and all of the things that i've done because i'm finally going to be contributing monetarily and contributing to society and making the world a better place and so that's the first volume and then the second volume is like oh, my life has become a wreck and I've given everything to the sea and everything to this horrible institution of hunting whales and harvesting them for oil and meat. And I was like, wow, that's a really profound way to immediately give the player some concept of the world and how the world affects people and how the culture and the economy affects the people in the world. I was like, this is a perfect gateway to show me as a player how bad the situation here is in Dunwall. I can't wait to see how they can top this or like how else they can do this. And it just never, there was never really another moment after that where it hit at a higher level. I think there's a lot of moments in this game that hit at a comparable level. Mm -hmm. You know, when you visit the slums for the first time, after the turn or you know the flooded district any of that stuff but i was so let down that they had this one really high moment for me early and then they never really topped it at all i personally am so disappointed in like this hyper cool whale concept that they've come up with that like you don't even get to see it all in the base game they made like (laughs) whoever was in charge of writing for the world in this game, far outperformed whoever was writing for the narrative of the game. There's a lot of really fascinating world-building af- uh, aspects. Like the whole concept of the overseers, like the stuff you read in the books and everything about the overseers is so interesting and fascinating. They like essentially adopt a bunch of children and... Mm whatever children don't make it they just like kill them yeah yeah and it's it's a very like brutalist institution and and it's like built to go against this like very present and very threatening shadow figure that like many of the common people keep trinkets of yeah (laughs) it's super interesting but then the just they don't do a lot yeah. with most of it. You know, you meet the outsider. He is the main reason that you are able to succeed on your your mission because he Im- imbues you, embeds you with these otherworldly powers. But the outsider doesn't really do no. I mean, he's meant to he even at the beginning he's like I want I'm just giving you these abilities and I'm going to be an observer on your quest and like see what you do to things. Mhm. And you can, there are shrines of his that you can visit. There's, most missions have one shrine you can visit. Not all of them do. Where he kind of imbues you, gives you some more insight into things about the world. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. I was just, there was, it was always just something I was like, you did all this work. You clearly had the concepts and the foundations down. What happened in translation that you weren't able to bring all these like really interesting, cool world building elements into the entirety of your game because there are glints Mm. of it like in the very first mission the first non-lethal thing you get to do is brand the high overseer which is essentially like the pope i guess would be the closest comparison i can make you get to brand him with an insit with a symbol that basically means he has been 
excommunicated from the overseers. And that's like a super cool, fascinating way to depose of somebody. Mm-hmm. But then there's just never another thing like that in any of the other missions that you do. I and hate I'm like, what? the non-lethal you didn't, options. You, didn't, <laughs> yeah. you did all this world building and you couldn't find more compelling non-lethal ways to get rid of these characters than there's a creepy guy who's into this woman yeah. or we're going to throw them into the mines forever. And I'm just like, you had something good here. You clearly had something good here, mm. but I, I'm, I'm so whelmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Give me your moment. All right. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to be a Debbie downer. Hey, no problem. Uh, my moment was when I figured out I was playing the game completely wrong. Oh Yeah. Uh, so not just playing the game completely wrong, like a very non-obvious thing. Listener, when you're playing this game, if you want to actually experience the story of the game, the thing that you have to do every time you go back to your hub is talk to everyone and check every room, or you're going to miss 40% of the story. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's so wild, right? Because, like, I didn't think about it. I had kind of forgotten design like this even existed. Like, my real moment, the thing that I'm like, wow, this is super interesting, is one of the times when you go into Pendleton's room and listen to his audio logs. Uh, This one was uh, how his brothers tortured him. I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I just thought that was such like an interesting concept because it really paints the rich and powerful people of this empire in a very specific way, right? And something that kind of, I guess, maybe frustrates me in addition to the world building is like the only thing that I think motivates Corvo is the fact that, spoilers, Emily is his daughter. Yeah. Because why would you want to help these people get into power? <laughs> like, Well, you got to think, he was like kind of the equivalent of a company man yeah. for the Empire. He had a nice, cushy job. Yep. He's the lover of the Empress, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's, <laughs> to some point, if he's yeah. not a believer uh-huh. in the Empire, yeah. he's at least a, someone yeah. who condones it. He's yeah. okay with it. Yeah, and, like, I I think it's really interesting just playing this game and, like, it telling you, like, the things you're doing here are mortal choices when, like, I don't want any part in, like, most of this. Yeah. I think most of this is shitty and non-heroic, which, I mean, you don't have to be a hero in a video game, right? Like, that's a bit of a limiting thing, but, like... I just, when you go and you listen, like, when you listen to the logs of, like, Pendleton and you just find out how terrible his upbringing was, which kind of explains why he's such a bad person, too. Or, like, you listen to Havelock's audio logs, which if Corvo wasn't an idiot, or I don't even know if it's not an idiot. If you listen to Havelock's logs every time you come back, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's obvious what he's doing. Yeah. And yes. Why would Corvo do nothing? Corvo's not stupid. Corvo is a supernatural assassin. I think what? <laughs> I think the reason I think one of the biggest things about this game for me was that there's just way too much tension between the gameplay and the narrative mm-hmm. where you think it's a little strained. I think I think you know Thief is a big game that people compare this game to, right? The difference is in Thief you intentionally implant yourself in situations where you overhear conversations about things. Because you're trying to break into houses. But in Dishonored, the gameplay is paced in such a way that you are encouraged to do things very quickly. There's not... You never feel like you're supposed to slow down and sort of sit and listen and let things play out naturally. And so as a result of this, we have to rely on these things like books audio logs, you know, all these other things to kind of flesh out the world and the narrative. And as a res- I think because of that, you lose 
the natural flow of how the narrative feels like it should play out. A lot of the situations that play out over the course of your missions themselves end up being fairly inconsequential to the overall narrative, other than the direct thing that you do to the people to get either the assassination or the, the removal of this figure, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all these side things are great for world building, you know, rescuing a woman from the police and so she can go back and you know assist her children you you know there's like a moment where it's like oh you saved two lives today because that woman now gets to live and her child won't die because they don't get fed tonight or whatever i think that was from this uh you're talking about in the first mission the first yeah mission. the first yeah. mission yeah. um and so it was those moments are great, don't get me wrong. I love moments like that because it's so good for fleshing out the world. But there's so many of those moments where it has no bearing on the overall narrative. Yes. And I'm just like, just make these moments tie into the overall narrative. Make the players want to slow down. Don't feel like all these missions have to happen at this breakneck speed. I missed, I don't know. I missed a lot of the story playing through the game because I went at the breakneck speed. You know, like, I didn't even go talk to Slackjaw at the beginning of the second mission. Yeah. Because I saw his guy standing there, and the last time I saw his guy standing there, his guy tried to kill me. Yeah. And I didn't want that to happen. Yeah, there's no reason to believe that they'll just lay you you into the facility. (laughs) They were enemies last mission. Yeah. (laughs) I, And so, like, in doing that, I completely missed the non-lethal route for the Pendleton twins, which I think the better thing to do, both morally... (laughs) And just like worldwise is to kill the Pendleton twins, then let Slackjaw a criminal, uh, which That's... I mean, criminal in the sense of like someone not meant, not trying to do good. Yeah. Uh, have some slaves for a mine he can take over now. That's not, I mean, that's true of most of the non lethal options. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A lot of the non, like the minority of the non lethal options are the ethical sort of conclusion right yeah you send a you send a woman off to be with her like stalker yeah Yeah. right it it even bothers me more (laughs) because in the game in the game i think lord pendleton is like oh this is like poetic justice and i'm like i i guess but Mm. i feel like it's a little self-masturbatory for you to if you developers of this game to say that yeah if you ignore all of the other parts that the writers intentionally wrote around it. Yes, it is a poetic justice moment. <laughs> you know, if you zoom out a little bit, it just looks like perpetuating bad things that are already happening yeah, with, yeah. but you just kind of like you're just, shuffle up you're who's just on saying, the bottom and who's on the top. You're just saying this is poetic justice because they're being doomed to the same fate that others doomed them to. Yeah. But like, that's just such a very surface level concept of what a, poetic justice is isn't it mm-hmm. poetic justice that these guys that exploit people for money are now getting exploited for money it's like well people are still getting exploited for money <laughs> the yeah. other people how's that poetic justice you just cha- you just flipped who's on the end of the stick you didn't even flip it you just like weighted it more on one side those other people are still definitely working in the mind yeah it was just mm-hmm. now the person is a different guy who would exploit people for money i don't know so my one moment, and I'm going to echo a lot of the sentiments that you guys have brought up here. Uh, you touched on it earlier. In the closing moments of the first mission, you encounter a guard and an overseer talking with a woman nearby. If You, you can sneak past them during the short moment that they're talking, but if you stick behind the eavesdrop, you learn that the overseer is going to put this woman to death, and it happens to be the guard's wife. The guard, not wanting to jeopardize his own life, is trying to disarm the situation but won't attack this overseer. You can attack and kill the overseer and save them. And the guard will be like, thank you. You've saved our life. We're going to remember this. And this is in a game. Some games are not about consequences. Mm -hmm. You do things and you expect that you won't see any sort of karmic balance for you Mm -hmm. doing it. And some games are about choices and consequences, and this is one of those. And not only did I never feel like 
that ever came back, especially when it was specifically pointed out on the mission end screen, like helped the guard and his wife escape. I was like, oh, they pointed this out because this is this is something that is like going to pay off pay off Mm. in the future. Mm. I'm going to come back and see this guard. Not only did that, at least for me, never, ever get revisited again. But by the end of the game, once you pass the third or fourth mission, these types of encounters seem to be wholly absent, completely cut from the game. By the end, by the last mission, the encounter that you have on the map is you jump in this window and there's just a random lady and she's like, I got the play, get out of here. There's nothing you can do. Can't interact with her. And it's like, is this the same game? This is just like, I, you know, in the first mission... You can either take advantage of a situation and leave these people to die by sneaking past while the guard's distracted, or you can intervene and potentially gain some kind of reward. And then by the end, it's just like, well, there's this lady that talks to you. You went in the special window and you can steal her food. And it's like, and then, you know, it's, I personally think a lot of development time and effort and care went into the first two maybe three missions but oh, yeah, not even yeah. really it's really just the ma- the first two assassinations and then the back two-thirds to three-quarters of the game it's just, it's a completely different game entirely and it i think this probably came as a result of play testers playing really fast and really loose and then making changes to fit this breakneck play style because all of the different powers you get are like you can teleport long distances instantaneously you can go twice as fast and jump high you get a special bone charm that's like when you're crouching you move at walking speed and it's like all of these things in the game encourage and like you were saying there's like this tension between the gameplay and these very like special world building moments that almost push you past them so i want to talk a little bit Uh, Before we get into the narrative proper, just about the themes that exist in this game, and you know, we'll kind of segue from there into how those relate to the story. I personally, I saw three sort of large themes that I saw echoed through pretty much every piece of writing in the game. The first, and they're all like struggles, right? This game is about tension and struggle and fighting right the first one is between hope and hopelessness you see this reflected in these peasants that are looking to move up and escape the plague you see it in corvo hoping to save emily Uh, you see it in these nobles trying to maintain their wonderful lives against this horrible plague that's overtaking them and by a little bit and it's a little bit their fault or one specific noble's fault that this plague's around um another one i saw the second one the big one i think is order versus chaos uh this is reflected in a lot in corvo's sort of mission for revenge Uh, You see this in how the outsider views sort of the society of Dunwall. You see this in how the nobles look down on the, the commoners with this contempt, this sort of hatred for how they live their lives so disorganized and ignobly, non ignobly, IG nobly, ignobly. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, the third big one. Well, I guess, Good and evil plays like a very small mm-hmm. part there. Uh, but then the third one I saw, and this is another huge one, is this playing with this sort of class divide, mm-hmm. this class warfare yeah. that teams through every interaction mm-hmm. you have between people in Dunwall. And uh, uh, a bit of class warfare in like some specific things, right? Because Corvo's an immigrant. He is. And like you don't really see it a lot. But, like, one of the first things in the first part of the game, uh, the high overseer is like, uh, <laughs> you're an immigrant. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the place I, I mean, like, this is a pretty straightforward story point, but um, it's something that you can definitely miss is that one of the nobles, the high overseer that you uh, assassinate, is the one who brought the plague to Dunwall. Wait, not the high overseer. 
the, the Lord Regent. The or Lord sorry, Regent. the Lord Regent. Excuse me. The Lord Regent brought the plague to Dunwall because he just hated the lower class. Yeah. So much. Mm-hmm. He thought the only way to restore Dunwall to its like proper place in the world was to wipe all these people out and or place the survivors under like a martial law to control them like very strictly. And that is actually why Jessamine is assassinated. Yeah. Because, because he... she won't she won't buy into this. Mm-hmm. She's like cast as this benevolent ruler type. Yeah. But it's easy to forget <laughs> it's easy to forget that, that you know, Dunwall's in the state that it's in before the events of the game happened too. I think I... the only only character that really represents the only character I had like a very strong attachment to, other than the ones they kind of tie you to by force, Emily. It was Samuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like Samuel the is the yeah. most interesting character in this game. Speaking speaking of class warfare, Mason, you yep. didn't put Samuel, Walter, Claudia, or Lydia. On yeah, because they're not important. <laughs> they're the pores. They play. I mean, Samuel is the only one who plays like a measurable role in the story because um, all of the big players are the people who have the actual power <laughs> and have any potential to capture any power in Dunwall. I think I don't know. I find all of the the servants of yeah. the Hound Pits pub to be pretty interesting. They're all given their own pretty strong personalities where they have different concepts of how they cope with the people that are around them and above them. Whereas some of them are kind of resigned to their fate and just want to do their part to make the world a little bit of a better place. I mean, this is that some of them are more like sucking up to the superiors and like they intentionally treat the other servants like dirt, Mm -hmm. even though they're on the same level because they think it'll give them some opportunity to, climb the ladder a little bit i mean this is that idea of hope and hopelessness i was talking Uh, about earlier right like some of these people for some reason i don't know feel like this there there's this idea that's pervasive against some of the lower class characters that things can get better that things can be fixed or Mm -hmm. mended or go back to a good time people above them literally just look at them with contempt yeah but that makes them important characters to it me. does. It does. Like Samuel's, Samuel's so Samuel's great. He's like he's far and so away the most poignant. interesting character. Like he understands what's going on on a deeper level than like anyone. <laughs> and the wor- the worst thing about playing on high chaos is that Samuel is just like immeasurably disappointed in you as a person. Oh yeah. no. He like regrets not <laughs> he regrets not giving you the entire dose of poison. Yeah, when you get to the lighthouse island at the end of the game, he'll actually shoot his gun to alert everyone that you're there. Oh my god. So I think that's like the worst part of High Chaos is that Samuel realizes that you're just perpetuating more terrible things into the world. I don't think that the game handles its sort of sliding scale. The morality system is so bad. It's, it's not very, very good. Bad. You know, in <laughs> when we played, I'm going to compare it to another game, which might be a bit of a sin because it's a little bit of an apples to orange comparison. When we played Disco Elysium, right? If you choose to be a fascist in Disco Elysium, you're not going to find anything except a full breath condemnation everywhere you go. And it's mm-hmm. going to make your life harder, right? Mm hmm. But in Disco Elysium, you can choose between four different political alignments or you can be apolitical. In Dishonored, you can be low chaos or you can be high chaos. And and the only thing defining those things is like how many times you're seen and how many people you kill. Yeah. And how many times the alarms are sounded. Yeah. Which is bananas. <laughs> Which I get it. In theory, right? The idea is you're that you're causing chaos. Well, like, but it's not just about you're causing chaos. You're causing fear yeah. within the city guard. You are mm-hmm. causing, you know, a paranoia, an unsettlement among the ranks of the people that are in control. But but so to get back sense. to my to get back to my point, right? They put two options in the game. You can be low chaos or you can be high chaos. If you are high chaos, every single person from the outsider to Samuel, all these people do nothing but condemn your your actions. You don't have anyone who is trying to make a case 
mm-hmm. for chaos. Yeah. Which you don't have to if you're going to put other options in the game. But since you only put two, it's just a straight up dichotomy. Mm-hmm. It makes it seem like the developers only really want you to play low chaos. Mm-hmm. When I got to the end of the game and I was towards the later outsider pedestals, the outsider who seems to be presented as this chaotic being would talk to me and be like, oh, why'd you kill that? Uh, why did you kill that assassin? Is it just because you wanted to be the best assassin? Uh-huh. I bet that's what it is. And then Emily turns into this ruthless killer. The despot, and, essentially. And uh, Samuel's like, oh, well, I regret meeting you. I never want to talk to you again. And, it, you know, it's just so funny, the disparity. There's, I, n- You know, I would like at least one character to at least try to present a case for why you should be high chaos which is it's so boring just to get condemned from every direction hey what's up everybody it's mason popping in for the mid-roll ad break still no ads but hopefully the ceo of northrop grumman starts responding to my emails and you know soon fingers crossed anyway i'm here to tell you to like comment share subscribe do all those social media engagement metrics that's gonna bring us to the top of the algorithms anyway i'll throw you back to the episode bye-bye You know what the worst part about the high chaos versus the low chaos system is? What? The high chaos final level is infinitely more interesting and satisfying <laughs> than the low chaos final level. So you saw me play the high chaos final level. Yeah. What did, what did you notice that was different? The biggest thing to me, well, so thematically on low chaos, when you get to the lighthouse, it's just sort of a overcast day. As opposed to high chaos, it's like a thunderstorm. Yeah. Yes. It's like raining. And there's a higher guard presence and yada, yada, yada. I think the thing that is most disappointing to me is on low chaos, when you get to the top of the lighthouse, the admiral just like gives up. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I don't I don't want to do it anymore. You think, what, you think I'm going to fight you? I'm not going to fight you. Why would I do that? And you just like get in a melee and leave. Whereas like on high chaos, there's like this very high tension situation where he's like threatening to throw himself over the edge with Emily and Mm -hmm. like, you know, disrupt everything. And like, which is a, which to me makes more sense than a man who has tried to wrest control from the entire time in this game and now has it and is on the verge of losing everything he has tried to get at, which I will get to in a minute as to why it makes no sense for it to <laughs> play it out this way. But like, why would he just give up? It doesn't yeah. make any sense to me that a man that has put in all these time and ev- all this time, effort, and resources yeah. into resting control for himself would just stand there and not do anything when you show up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, wouldn't it make more sense for him to resign himself? to that when he's in high chaos because he knows how potent and dangerous you are as a person and like the concept of fighting out back against Corvo would be such a terrifying concept to him that he wouldn't want to do just oh before we get too far away from it lose my mind before we get too far away from it mason i have to ask you a question because something you just said makes me so confused yeah what's up so if you kill dowd who i think deserves to die uh-huh. he is yeah. just an assassin he runs a clan of assassins no no how no, buck you don't understand how is it that him still living is a in, in any way could be a good thing Buck, you don't understand he regrets he regrets everything now yeah. after he <laughs> assassinated changed. the empress he is what see the the thing is down has accepted jesus christ as his personal lord and savior and he has been washed clean by the blood of the, the lamb the game literally tries to guilt trip you and to into buying into like doubt is fundamentally changed as a person because he realizes that everything is worse now as a result of him because he killed the, the monarch. Oh yeah. my God. It yeah. is wild. I, I, so here's the thing that I need to like, I want to address because so, yeah. so this morning I talked to a friend who really likes this game mm-hmm. um, just to kind of get a different perspective. So did we funny enough. Right. And he presented. So, I complained about the fact that you can't use your cool outsider abilities, even put points into them because they're useless if you're not really trying to fight people, right? Right. And he said, hey, 
he said, he said, this is a stretch, but he presented, hey, the outsider likes high chaos and is implied to really want bad things to happen. So you using those powers and doing those bad things and killing people is you being bad because you're siding with the outsider. But you just told me. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> he. I, yeah, he'll, I, he'll, he he just he questions. It's not like a condemnation in the way that Samuel does, mm-hmm. but he questions you every step mm-hmm. of the way. He's like, oh, I see you killed that torturer. Yeah, I don't even you think, think it, that was the right thing to do. It's like, yes. Yeah. I don't think it's even objectively true that the uh, that he's trying to goad you into yeah. high chaos yeah. i always the the way he reads to me is that he's just an observer yeah he just wants to he is literally when he introduces you to him he's literally just like i'm just giving you these powers because i want to see what you'll do with them whatever you do with them is your choice i'm just i'm just gonna sit here because i think it's gonna be fun to watch it play out now okay so i'm gonna present to you a different perspective on this right you're right that is nominally what he says but the way he's presented seems to show him at odds with the Dunwall Empire. Not only because the religion is a straight-up anti-outsider religion, but a lot of the ways he is presented visually lean on tropes that have to do with sort of a uh, H.P. Lovecraft kind of unknowable dark figure above comprehension that seems to indicate that seems to position him as a chaotic figure to I mean, me. Don't, don't get me wrong. There is something very chaotic about gifting you the heart of your lover. Yeah. Yes. And have her speaking to you from the afterlife through this pulsating heart. That's, you know, pretty chaotic in and of itself. But I also just have no reason to not take him at face value. Yeah. A lot of the time, you know, I get, you know, I conceptually, I can understand that he has something that the outsider has something to gain in theory from the corruption of the Dunwall government and the Dunwall systems, but also he's a God. So like, why care about mortal folly at all? Yeah. And he, it's not that he doesn't still have worshipers. He has worshipers. In fact, he just encourages you to go help them. Right. It's hard for me to get behind a lot of the morality of this game because it doesn't make any sense. It's not a good moral. It's not, but it's not, it's, it's, it wears the clothes of a moral system, but it's it's a chaos and order system, right? Yeah. So it exists independently of, or it's supposed to be not a morality system. It just so happens all of the things that are high chaos are pretty evil, yeah. and all of the things that are low chaos are, are pretty ethical, right? It's uh, In quotes. In quotes, it's, yeah. They didn't do a good enough job wrestling it away from this normal video game mechanic yeah and and like to harp on your point about the point of no one like going for high chaos high chaos feels wrong when you're playing like which is crazy because the ending i watched both of the endings yeah high chaos ending feels right Mm -hmm. compared to where the rest of the story is going yeah i agree so it, you have to play in this way that like you're butting heads yeah. with how the game is made. It was like, we're going to give you 12 different methods that you can sneak in. So if the, if you bought high jump, you can use the rooftops yeah. or if you bought control a rat, you can sneak in and you never have to come up against a single guard. You can mind control the guard and then use your sleep darts. And, but you get to the end of the game and it's like, Oh yeah. And then Emily was a good empress and happily ever after she made everything good again. There's no more plague. Yeah, she it was had, like, what she, makes sense? That or that the next empress of this broken, terrible, hopeless place also sucks. Yeah. That makes more sense to me, yeah. but you have to go on a fucking murder spree. Yeah. Can I talk about the thing that frustrated me the most about this game? Yes. So I went for all the non-lethal op- I wanted to do the low chaos. I wanted to go for all the non-lethal options to depose of all of the main figures throughout the front half of the game i think in the back half of the game the non-lethal options just don't make any sense character wise or thematically or whatever but the non-lethal way that you get rid of the lord regent is that you acquire an audio log of that him is a confessing. full confessional 
of everything, everything he's done that's against the religion. Everything. Everything he has done. He talks about bringing the plague to Dunwall. He talks about hiring assassins to murder the empress. He literally just for some reason has a full confessional on tape just lying around in the same building where he does all of his propaganda from. So it's very easy to just slip in, take that log and drop it into the propaganda slot. And now everyone in the entire city has heard it. That already sounds pretty bad, right? Yeah. That already sounds like something that is not in any way rooted in any reality of where a despot takes over. The thing that pissed me off the most is after you do this non-lethal option and you go back to the Hound Pits pub and get betrayed by um, the, loyalists. The, the loyalists, the loyalists are still like, oh yeah, when we show up with Corvo, the murderer of the Empress, we're going to be heralded as heroes. And it's like, everyone in this yeah, entire everyone, city everyone just heard the confession <laughs> of the Lord Regent saying that he was the one that murdered the Empress. It doesn't work Why anymore. The f- Fuck, did you not program a different dialogue for the non-lethal option because now this shit doesn't make any sense? Yeah. It made me so angry that you... And, I, and look, I get it. Video games are a lot of work. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scene. We were in a time where, you know, the Choices Matter stuff was still a new developing technology where branching paths were like a very new thing. And we were like, they're probably still a lot of kinks and things to figure out but the fact that you had these two very clear-cut options in your game and whenever you do one of the options it, it it displays a different thing at the top of your screen where it's like you know target assassinated whatever or target you know removed eliminated or whatever, or- eliminated and you couldn't you didn't have the foresight to realize how this was going to impact your narrative and now there is this gigantic plot hole that I literally for the back half of the game could not get over because I do not understand why anyone would listen to Havelock when he is literally lying about who the murder of an empress to the entire public when they heard the confession from the Lord Regent. And it just... There's a definite rush that you can feel to the end of the game, the later half of the game. Feels like things were crunchy, you know? Feels like the studio was trying really hard to fill out these big, beautiful levels that they spent a lot of time making. And then they didn't necessarily have like the most compelling things to put in them. You forgot to mention the most prominent character in the latter half of the game in our character list. Who's that? Uh, the stupid sea urchin things. Oh, uh, <laughs> what are they called? Uh, hagfish? No, that's the name hagfish of the fish. Are the fish. Uh, crusts yeah crusts crusts the crust yeah the stupid <laughs> they just cited they instead of putting enemies in a level <laughs> there's only two types of enemies humanoids and turret plants <laughs> why why not just put more humans where the plants are they all can... everywhere where those stupid plants are they only act as an annoyance they it's have... never like oh this is cool they could have easily just made like a different type of weeper Yes. That yes. Was, that's like an immobilized person. Yeah. That has been paralyzed by the plague that just like spreads rot everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Because I don't know how this plague works. It's never explained. Well, it's so there are things that explain it in the game, but it's more text. Yeah. Yeah. It's I. It's I like was, Ebola. Kinda. I was fascinated by like reading like the work text of the people were doing to try to like solve the plague. Yeah. Man, such cool world building with such... (laughs) I really wish that... I really wish Piero wasn't just such an annoying... Weird incel? Yeah. Yeah. Because in concept, a lot of the... Reading all of his writing, reading Mm -hmm. a lot of his writings, not all of them, Mm -hmm. he has some very interesting things to say, but he just comes off like a a loser. Yeah. And it's so hard for me to buy into things because he's always like you know these stupid people they just think that sokolov is so much better than me but i'm (laughs) better than him but then when they get when piero and sokolov get together towards the end of the game they're Mm. actually really interesting and bounce off to each other really well yeah they make a good deal like just like 
Where was this Piero? This, this is so much more compelling and interesting than this like weird, creepy guy that you've made him yeah. out to be for the first mm-hmm. like sixty percent of this game. Which includes a scene where he's like playing Spot. peeping Tom on a yeah. on a bathing woman. Yeah. yeah. It's like, why did you put that? What you don't get anything. Did you guys know that you could after he walks away walk in there and hit on the bathing woman? Yes, you yes. can, yeah. Oh my you god. You can also <laughs> after you hit on the bathing woman, if you keep <laughs> talking to her, I swear to you, you can tattle on Piero. Oh my god. It's crazy. That this Why is in there Corvo for no, ever do that. There's it's there's no reason for any of this to happen. You walk up on Piero peeping through a keyhole. And you're like, hey, cut that shit out. Mm-hmm. Like, don't spy on this poor woman who's bathing. And then you go in and you're like, hey, can I join you for the bath? <laughs> what? Who decided that? And then after you get through that, you talk to her again and you're like, Piero's spying on you through the keyhole. Like, motherfucker, you just barged into yeah. her naked. Like, at least he had the decency to not make his presence known. <laughs> What are you doing? Well, every everything there's so, so many much. things are handled so awkwardly. Yeah, there is there's a lot of just weird choices in this game that don't make any sense. Can I talk a little bit about the first couple of missions because I genuinely do have very good things to say about them. Yeah, totally. I really thought this game was if if the game was consistently at the quality of mission one and two, this would mm-hmm. easily be like an eight out of 10 game. Do you guys yeah. agree? There's I like, I even like the bridge, like mechanically, I like the Anton Sokolov abduction. The bridge level. mission is, it's just where it starts to decline because it's yeah. a little more linear mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. It is more linear than but the first two. Like yeah. the first couple of areas, you have all of these interesting routes that you can use to get to your target you can climb on these vents up in this big, uh, in in this religious, oh my god, castle re- yeah, like a religious mm-hmm. castle. This huge structure. You can do side missions for these two different uh, warring people. These two yeah. people, Granny Rags and Slackjaw, who are at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. You can play them against each other for your own gain, yeah. which is a really cool dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have multiple different side areas that you can visit to go complete the side missions and get a lot of resources that yep. prove to be really helpful. You have these really cool, uh, you, in the second mission, you can sneak up on one of your targets while he's in the middle of the sort of like a, a sex work session and kind of torture him to get a safe combination that you can get a bunch of money out of, uh, and do all these really cool things. They added all these, rat tunnels for if you took the control rat power they and and all it's like so beautifully laid out Mm -hmm. and i just wish i just wish every mission had a side mission like granny rags or slackjaw telling you Mm -hmm. something once you do the one granny rags mission and the one slackjaw mission in mission one and two you're done with them until the end of the game where they face off it's like i you you couldn't help me develop this a little more throughout mm-hmm. the other three missions that they disappear. You mm-hmm. couldn't put something to do. Cause like in the later missions, the side mission is like, go to the basement, kill the torture. He's all alone. He can't kill. He can't yell for anyone. He's sitting down there. He's turned away from the door. Free some prisoners. It's, Free it, some- it, it's the same. It's the same thing with the non-lethal option as well. You in the, in the very first mission, when you have to depose of the, of the oh, high yeah, overseer, yeah. you have to like, figure out about the the signal the the singe the the brand the, the brand, brand that you have to put on them to get them excommunicated yep. you have to find out where the room is where they mm-hmm. go to take people to get branded you have to actually find the high overseer himself you have to figure out how to get to the brand there's like you have these, to save him oh, because he's being poisoned by another guy yeah well, no, the higher receiver is not being he's poisoning he's, someone else. He's, he's yeah. poisoning a guy who is another yeah. side mission that you can save yeah. that guy. And, yeah. and but that guy will still rat you out if you like leave him alive. So you have to put him to sleep first. Mm-hmm. So there's all these interesting moving pieces that you have to take to go the non-lethal route. And then when you get to the Lady Boyle mission, it's just like talk to this guy, talk to this guy, knock her out, put her in a boat. Easy. And like and the lady like, what happens. The the worst part is like the the level design never goes down they're all Mm. like you look at these environments and you're like oh man if they had kept up the level if they kept up the 
game to the world design. I don't know how, to, how I want to say this. If they had kept up the things that you are able to do mm-hmm. and it kept up with the level design, like these would be cool levels. Yeah. In the Lady Boyle mission, you can go onto the roof while, while you're exploring upstairs and, and look around up there. You can talk to, there's like all these different party members with different distinct personalities that can do different things mm-hmm. but it's only like four of them you know and you have this big ballroom filled with all these like generic npcs that could have been more people that could have revealed more things to you that someone could have had a safe combination someone could have given you you could have talked to all the different people instead of just going upstairs and looking in the diary to find immediately the answer to the puzzle you yeah. also just get the answer to the puzzle from the one woman you talk to if you get her a drink get yeah her a drink. she's literally go- like uh this one's in this color dress and this one's in this color dress and then she's like okay well the other one's in the other color dress and then you talk to the stalker guy and he's like i'm looking for this one and you're like yep. okay well she wasn't one to list it so it's the other one so and i'm just like you there could you, have been you, like seven. You built this up to be this like really cool, interesting mystery that I have to decipher out because you know that's a very common logic puzzle. Is like you have you know hidden identity, hidden identity. Mm-hmm. So there's like all these like clues that could have been set up, but nope, everything is given to you by two people. Mm. It's it, it, there's like the skeleton of a great level there. Imagine if you had to like go up into their bedrooms and like. In one of their closets, there was like an article of clothing they forgot to put on, mm. like some like a pair of red earrings right. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you had to like figure out what, whose room it was, and then okay, well that probably means that this and then. But then you go into the next room, it's like oh my sister stole my earrings, and so I don't know. There's just like so many layers that could have been added. Mm-hmm. Imagine you go into the basement where the cooks are, and the cooks are like oh. The white boil, no shellfish. She's allergic. Yeah. And then you have like something to go on. There's there were so many places. When you did the side mission in that in that mission, it was just like, oh, have a duel with this it guy. It's duel. over in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, they could have they could have provided something with regards to the main mission. You don't even figure out what the feud was about between yeah. the Pendleton and, and Pendleton. Pendleton. And yeah. Hey, you just get back and Pendleton's like, Yeah, thanks for taking care of that for me. Here, have this rune. It could have been, even if they wanted positively the decision that you don't figure out what the feud was about, there was a much better opportunity to characterize Pendleton there as a coward, as uh, yeah. someone who manipulates stronger, more physically capable people to mm-hmm. d- doing his ends for him. Yeah. You know, someone who is like uh, a powerful mind intellectually who is like this cerebral sort of force to be reckoned with, but it's just like, oh, here you go. Here's your rune. Have a rune. Mm-hmm. You did a quest. You get a reward. It's like, oh, come on, man. I'm out of complaints. <laughs> I feel like I've voiced most of my my issues with the narrative have, choices in this game. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've got a question. Yeah, what's up? Uh, does Havelock poison the other two in the chaos ending? I think he just straight up murders Pendleton. Ah. Yeah, you arrive on the island and Martin is talking to Pendleton because Martin's just pulled up, oh, right? Oh, okay. And he's like, come out, Pendleton, and fight. And Pendleton's oh, like, no, fuck you, I'm in the tower. Uh-huh. And you head up into the tower and Pendleton's actually just been shot. Okay. And you roll up and he's like, fuck you, Corvo, I'm dead already. And just slumps over dead. Oh. It's like... Wh- yeah. yeah, I mean Havelock poisoning the rest of the loyalists and the low chaos ending doesn't make any yeah. sense either. Yeah, it's it like, doesn't. It's like why? I, I think the crazy thing is that you don't have to kill Martin. Yeah, the yeah. the replacement high overseer is like why? Why wouldn't I be interested in getting rid of this guy? He's about yeah. to overtake the religion of all these guys that try and kill me on sight. Yeah, why is that <laughs> not a mandatory objective, or at least a side objective? I mean, it is a side objective. Oh, okay. You don't have to do it. That's the crazy part to me mm-hmm. is you don't have to do it. Another thing which is wild is they build up these plague doctor dudes, the whalers, yeah, to be so awesome. And there's like six of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> there's like six of them in the whole game. There's three rooms that they're in, and then like one big building. Well, they're can... also scattered across roofs and stuff. Like I, I in the second that's... mission, they're scattered across roofs. Oh, I was high chaos in the second mission. Oh, I wasn't. So I think, yeah. So like, I tried to be. Don't get me wrong. They they show up more in higher chaos, I think, because I actually had to take them out while I was getting to um, the brothel, um, like because they were in the way. 
it didn't even like hit me until late in the game that like their powers are also outsider powers. Yep. I was just like, oh, these are just magic guys. Yeah. Because like there's this one encounter you have at the very beginning of the game where you see this rune or a bone charm or something yep. up in a tower and you like, go jump up there and then three of these guys jump after you, three whalers, to try and come kill you. And it's like, oh, they're looking for the runes because they obviously st- are also imbued with the mm-hmm. outsider's power. It's like, well, these guys could have been guys that raced you for all these cool runes yeah. and rewards throughout the game. These guys could have been guys that were also there looking for the same things. I have so many, like, I just wish they could have seen what was cool about this story and done more with the cool stuff. Like, we haven't talked about how the charms of the outsider resonate with like this innate music of the universe yeah and the overseers actually have these music boxes that let them pick up on that to try to kind of (laughs) like uh you know find those people damn that's so cool but like there's nothing nothing in the narrative does anything with that just like with the whales like just like with this the the like revolutionary war that happened like you don't see i guess one you of the way most, you can read it one of the most frustrating things to me is you are clearly a servant of an empire that has done a colonialism and you don't see any of the actual results of that yeah except for the fact that some rats were imported from uh i think they were imported from the continent pandesia and that's what brought the sickness yeah and it's like why don't we see more of that anywhere why isn't that more of a part of a story than this like very lackluster (laughs) political plot they made a great world (laughs) they legitimately made such a cool world like everything like their whole electrical system Mm -hmm. runs on whale oil and these whales like overpopulate the ocean dunwall like the empire of dunwall owns the entire continent you're on like that is such a mind-blowing like imagine if india was just like we're gonna take over all of asia yeah like the like it would be the implications of that are wild Mm -hmm. and you know, the story that they stick you with is just like such a lackluster revenge fantasy. Yeah. And that's all it is. Yeah. It's a revenge fantasy. Which isn't even like compelling in either way, I think. Like, I don't think it's good if you don't kill Dowd, and I don't think it's good if you do kill Dowd. Like, it's. <sighs> Did I, I had to. I don't know if I told you this. <laughs> Sam saw it. When I played the entire Dowd encounter, bugged out. Uh. and I beat him in the first encounter and he was just like sitting outside bloodied uh. and I walk out and he just looks at me uh. and I was like, Sam, is this it? And he's apparently he's supposed to say stuff. Oh, yeah, you missed like, him just... asking you to spare him part. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that at all. <laughs> I had to look it up. So to me, it was just like I walk out and Dowd just stares at me. I'm like, I guess I kill him. And you killed him. <laughs> Why wouldn't I kill him? Yeah. He tried to kill me. Yeah. It's and... very clear. He's going to try to kill me if I keep going because he doesn't like the outsider anymore. Yeah. And, like, uh, spoilers for the DLC. Uh, I think the intended outcome, because if you play at low chaos in the DLC, the intended outcome is Corvo doesn't kill Dowd. And it just doesn't make any sense. Like, Dowd living makes no sense for Corvo as a character more than any other non-lethal option, I think. There shouldn't be an option to not kill Dowd. It doesn't make any sense for Corvo. The murderer of his lover and his daughter's mother, I mean, who the, is an assassin, like he runs an assassin guild. Well, I think the problem. <laughs> I think the problem is less that it doesn't make any sense for Corvo, and more that Corvo is never ex- explored as a character. Yeah, he's really not. He's either. not. That's he, true. That's he's true. a blank. He's a tabula the, rasa, right? He's just game, supposed to be a guy that you can you can put yourself into. He doesn't even say, "I never asked for this." This yeah. is a game. <laughs> so stupid this is a game that would be made a lot stronger <laughs> by actually fleshing out your main character yeah and that way there would be a reason to feel the weight of the consequences of your actions more than just the world slightly changing around you sometimes in ways that you're not even going to notice 
you know, one of the consequences of being in high chaos is that there's more rats, but it's like, which rats? Yeah. Which are the high chaos rats? Mm-hmm. What, like at it, there's no discernible way to know whether something would or would not have happened in high chaos or low chaos. So the only moments where I actually felt like it was pretty interesting were the dialogue moments with Samuel and the way that Emily perceives you as a person. She either perceives you as her loving, caring father or this masked entity that goes around and just absolutely decimates people. Those are the only times where you really, I felt like you really grasped the impact because as we said, the ending just feels really flat. If, and like if they had, it's another one of those things like in the, like I was talking about earlier when I was talking about the levels, if they had another five interactions, like the one where you turn up to Emily once you first rescue her and she's like, I'm drawing a picture of you Corvo. And I was on high chaos. So she was drawing me on a pile of dead bodies with like Hmm. fire behind me. Like that'd be so cool if there were just like a few, few more of those just like sprinkled throughout. Yeah, but it's like high chaos means more weepers. It's like okay, I go into the weeper area and it's just like flush with them, and I throw a grenade and they're gone. And you know, I, I've undone the high chaos consequence. I throw a grenade and I undo all of the bad things that happens from high chaos. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like why? But it's all about the ending. Okay, well, the ending is only like a 60-second cutscene of yeah. the outsider explaining to you what happens. <laughs> There's no like tangible reason for me to really care about the consequences of my actions because there was only one level where it really mattered, mm-hmm. and the ending is so low impact. It's wild. And then you, you, when we watched the ending, I was like, Sam, is there any more to this? No. Yeah. Is there a post-credit scene? No. Nope, that was it. It was like, oh yeah, Emily took over, and uh, she's an evil little bitch. It's yeah. like, well, everything that, is worse now. Like, why does she know so much about my work? Yeah. You know, like why, why can Corvo not? Emily, she's like, she's like seven. You can. It's there's still never, time. To, no, hold on. There's still time to parent. I'll push back on this a little bit. Emily's age makes no logical sense through the entire development yeah. of yeah. the game. Yeah. Sometimes she's like five or six and sometimes she's like 13 Ten. or 14 yeah. I'm yeah. Like, there's no where's the consistency <laughs> with her age i don't get it because like the drawings she does are very like they're kiddish kiddish early on and then she does this whole like wall mural of like multiple images spread across multiple pieces of paper which i think would take some amount of like better more con- concepts of like spatial reasoning and art and like whatever right that's something that I would expect from like a preteen and like the classes, like her, it, her education doesn't like make line up with any of her. I don't know. It's, um, it, it's a mess. It is a mess. Just a lot, like this a lot of the characterization is a mess. It's got 10 too many characters mm. and 10 too few characterizing moments. <laughs> That's all I got to say. I'm done. I'm done with this honored. We're going to get canceled. Do we want to do, <laughs> I mean, we've been doing it already. Do we want to do sixty seconds like we no, do with Dragon Age? No, 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 I feel like I've said any, I feel like I've said all the things I need to say. We've had sixty minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, this is a, this is a. I don't think this is going to be the only instance of us talking about why a narrative game doesn't work the yeah. way that the developers intended it to. Mm-hmm. And I hope it isn't. I hope we have more episodes like this where we can talk about the fundamental flaws of a game that tried to do something very interesting and compelling with its narrative, but ended up falling flat on its face. I think that it, I think that that makes for an equally interesting episode than all. Let's talk about disco Elysium for two hours and all these things (laughs) that did correctly. I like, um, you know, if you're listening to the podcast and you feel a, a lot of passion for this game and you have, some kind of comment for us other than like you're a bunch of jerks uh, <laughs> or a bunch of you know hurling slurs at us. If you, you know, I would love to hear someone really articulate where the juice is in the game to them mm-hmm. because obviously it missed me that, completely. That, and I want to emphasize it isn't in the world building. We're, we're, like that world building is great because like 
everything that has nothing to do with the narrative is so much better than the narrative. It's really yeah. cool. It's like, really cool. <laughs> gameplay, the gameplay in and of itself is really well made. The mm-hmm. problem is that you just don't get to interact with a lot of it if you do the non-lethal options. There's like, you don't get to use three quarters of your arsenal. The powers, you know, we've, we've, we're not going to retread this whole thing, but it's like, you know, I would love to hear someone articulate the reasons why this is good that maybe we we can't really see mm-hmm. based on our experiences because I know this game was nominated for and won a bunch of awards. Like, it's got a very loyal fan base. It spawns sequels, Arcane, like... Like, it won Game of the Year in places, right? What yeah, I believe so. What came out in 2012? I... I <laughs> I don't know. It's wild to me. I I, I just I was I, w- I was in college, man. I wasn't playing video games. I gotcha. It's I, just <laughs> I want to I want to hear someone who's passionate about this game talk about it because I'm certainly not passionate about it. Yeah. And I freaking suggested it for the podcast. So uh, I think I'm good to wrap up here. How about you guys? We're yeah, at I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Seventy minutes. Like, comment, and subscribe. If we get to one thousand uh, subscriptions. Before the next episode, uh, Buck is going to cut out Sam's tongue and send him to work in a salt mine for life. Next week. (laughs) Next episode. Next episode. Spec Ops. Spec Ops The Line, which is another game from this era, but I think much stronger narratively. I've played four missions of it, and I enjoy way more than this game. (laughs) I studied this next game in college, funny enough. So we will see you then. Uh, Once again, we have been Level Zero Literacy. Thank you for listening.